Hi, this is Ryan Baumgartner from The Office, and you're listening to... That's what she said. That's what she said, episode 75, Retro Dwight's Speech. Hey, hey, I've seen this one. I've seen this one. This is a classic. This is the one with Dwight's Speech. What do you mean you've seen this? Brand new. Yeah, well, I saw it on a rerun. It's a rerun. You'll find out. That's what she said. Time to the time. That's what she said. Flux capacitor. Flexing. That's what she said. Let's count it down. Three, two, one. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, they're going to see some serious shit. I say, salesmen of the world, unite. Great score! And welcome to episode 75 of That's When She Said, a podcast about the Emmy Award-winning NBC show, The Office. As always, I'm your human resources coordinator, Matt Summer. And this week, we're going to be taking an in-depth and spoiler-filled look at the 17th episode of Season 2, entitled Dwight's Speech, which originally aired Thursday, March 2nd, 2006. He's the best around. When Dwight wins the award for number one salesman, he's on cloud nine, except for his crippling fear of public speaking, that is. Good thing Michael, a past double winner, is around to coach him through the biggest speech of his life. Meanwhile... Pam plans her wedding, Jim plans a trip, and the rest of the office fights over the thermostat. Will Il Shrute win over the sales crowd? Does blood alone move the wheels of history? Lots to discuss, lots to talk about. Let's head on over to the water cooler. It's a real shame, because studies have shown that more information gets passed through water cooler gossip than through official memos, which puts me at a disadvantage, because I bring my own water to work. Why'd you do this? I didn't do it. Oh, the water cooler was brought over here for maintenance. So what do you guys hear? What's the scuttlebutt? And joining me at the water cooler again this week is my dear friend, our traveling salesman, the assistant to the regional manager, even though that is mostly made up, Kevin Crossman. Kevin, how you doing? Hey, welcome, Matt. Uh, you know, after doing so many episodes of That's What She Said, I want to just remind listeners that we do listen to what they have to say, all the iTunes feedback, all those Twitter replies, of course, the email and blog posts. And tonight, we will be addressing all the complaints that this podcast does not focus enough on fascist dictators. So if you've been waiting for this, tonight is your dream episode. All right. Well, Kevin, I just want to remind you, this is public podcasting, not public interrupting. So... Hold your comments, please, until the appropriate time. Um, well, just kidding. Well, here we are doing Dwight's speech. Now, I know that for a lot of people, this is one of the highlight episodes of season two. Uh, it's made a bunch of lists from people, the top five moments in the show's history, this and that. Very well regarded. Now, Ken, we've been going through solely season two, and, and I know some people maybe get sick of us, kind of like a broken record a lot of times. Oh, we love season two. Oh, season two is the best. Oh, season two is so great. And for the most part, the vast majority of season two, I agree. Of course, such classics as the Dundies, um, Valentine's Day, you know, all the ones that we've done recently, sexual harassment, those are classics, of course. Funny thing is, as much as I love season two, and I rewatched season two probably three, four, five, six, seven, eight times, all during those couple of years and the, whatever the time that you know I had a free free moment to catch it on my iPod or something. One episode in that season that I initially when I saw it when when Thursday Matt in 2005 saw the Dwight speech episode, he hated it so much that in all the subsequent viewings of season two, I almost always skipped Dwight's speech. Now 
why on earth did I dislike it? Well, I'll tell you. In my mind, the biggest thing, of course, sticks out is the speech. The whole idea of Dwight getting up there giving this really cartoonish speech, these obvious like weird dictator comments, the fact that everyone loved it and cheered and stood up for him. At the time, for me, it felt like this was a very kind of real, you know, sort of realistic show. That was one of those moments to me where it felt like it crossed the line of silliness, of goofiness, of non-believability, that it was really kind of cartoony. And it really kind of put me off the episode so much that I didn't rewatch it. Now, I purposely picked this episode to do on the retro this week because of that kind of ancient dislike that I've had for this show. Um, and I said 2005, and me, of course, I meant Matt from 2006. 2006 Matt didn't like this. Would 2009 Matt feel differently about the episode? So I know we always, like I said, we always praise and love season two. I wanted to go back and tackle the one episode, my white whale, if you will, of season two. <laughs> And see if I can stick that harpoon right through Dwight Schrute's beating heart. So that's my take. That's where I'm coming from on this episode. What was your take on this episode? What did you originally think of it? What did you think of it after rewatching it? Well, I think the main thing for me was that I did look back uh, at this episode as being a highlight. And although I hadn't really watched it in a long time, and it was very interesting going back and thinking this must be a great episode, but really. Well, we'll talk about the Jim and Pam stuff. That stuff was kind of okay, but of course we know what happens to them later, so some of the tension that you might have felt in the actual season itself was kind of lost. And then the whole build-up to Dwight's speech, sort of that first half of that storyline didn't really work for me. But i got to say, when they get to the hotel and the big convention, that whole part still really works for me. It's still a super big highlight uh, for the show's history. And just the way it is put together, um, I've talked, I think, on previous episodes where I used to work for a company that had a very big sales culture. And that whole convention with the the, the hotel conference room, the jock jams, the music, the music and everything, that is just pitch perfect. And the way that that got together and all these guys just cheering like mindless idiots because they're salesmen <laughs> I think really did work for me and uh, so for me still the speech part at least was still a highlight alright well let me go back a little bit I told you kind of what I was thinking at the time um, after rewatching it this week I kind of forgot a lot of this stuff. I actually did like a lot of the stuff at the beginning I liked the build up to the speech I liked the Jim and Pam stuff and I can remember at the time really feeling that this was kind of poignant this moment here where you know Jim the whole dream's kind of falling apart and it doesn't look like it's going to happen and she keeps going through with the wedding plans and he really hasn't stepped up and done anything about it yet and he makes this kind of desperate gesture to book this trip and leave while the wedding's going on and everything and there's kind of so so i could still remember that how that was going at the time um I liked the way it was set up. I liked Michael's kind of cockiness, talking about his past as a salesman. Um, we see his big, you know, plaque, and then the his little visual gag the next year was, of course, the uh, little certificate, which, uh, whether you're in business or not, I mean, that's just totally relatable, I think, to uh, to anyone, the vagaries of business, you know, how they uh, spend money one year and cut the money the next year. That was some good stuff. Michael's, uh, you know, really played into his character, the typical kind of goofy, 
jokester guy that was really cocky and confident in himself. The one thing I was surprised at here, and maybe this is part of the reason why I, I have a problem with it, because I, I still think that that speech is kind of cartoony. Uh, and the way that the sales guys just totally bought into it. it. I mean, he was really spewing some totally ridiculous junk, you know, <laughs> right out of the Mussolini playbook. And, yeah, in the middle, he kind of started talking about, you know, us as salesmen is a dirty word and conjures up images. Of, and that was actually some good rousing kind of stuff that you might say at a, a sales conference that would get people going. So, eh, you know, I could buy it on the one hand. The one thing that was really weird to me to see is is that, even though this is episode 17 out of 25 or whatever for that season, the Dwight character is still totally different than the Dwight that we know today. And it was really weird seeing him as this kind of sniveling guy that was afraid of public speaking, kind of little wimpy guy. Uh, you know, you can't imagine season five Dwight being afraid of public speaking. I mean, that guy that we have today, he wouldn't be in that role. So it's kind of jarring a little bit to see that transformation. Whether you know, I don't even think it's really a transformation. I suppose you could say that. Maybe you could plot that out and say, well, yeah, that's where he got more cocky. That's where he got more confident in himself. But absolutely, um, I don't know. It just it didn't seem right to me. It, it seemed uh, a little off. I also thought it was a little weird because a lot of times this season we spent with showing how good Michael is at doing things, at selling people and being kind of charismatic the way that he won of course the sale and the client the other things mm -hmm. that he did um all through the you know of course he said his bad times too but I, what did you think about that was it believable to you in this episode that michael was such an absolute flop at the convention well of course i think the flop aspect is really set up for comedic effect when you've got uh, the beginning of the episode where michael's so confident dwight can't even put out a good sentence in front of the conference room. And then, of course, there's a big twist at the end where Michael completely crashes and burns. We've all had those uh, nightmares of public speaking, and this is, <laughs> you know, this is straight, out of, straight out of your nightmare uh, with the sweat and everything else. Very funny. And he's just he's not prepared. He's desperate to, to wow him just like he could in the old days, but he just doesn't have the juice this time. And then, of course, we get the twist with Dwight coming up, and you wouldn't expect him to do a good job, and he's very... Um, the people there are very receptive to what he's saying. Now, I would say that Dwight's speech is maybe not quite as cartoony as some of the other things we've learned about Dwight. You know, he doesn't know where the clitoris is. Some of the other sort of very... Uh, um, you know, the Shroot Farm stuff is, in some respects, more cartoony. And the fact that he was saying this stuff, I think, to me, was more an indictment of the people in the room kind of going, yeah, yeah, he's pounding on the table. It's a great <laughs> thing. Let's follow along. And that thing more than making fun of Dwight, the character. It certainly exaggerated Michael's problems at the microphone for comedic effect. You'd think he would have been able to pull at least a little bit more out of his butt uh, than he was <laughs> to, to have to go to the, you know, Michael Winslow Police Academy uh, impressions. So, Well, I, I think that a big part of it, and we kind of talked about this a little bit before we started recording, a big part of it might be the fact that, you know, he wasn't prepared. Maybe, maybe uh, there's a couple of different theories. Maybe in his past, in 97, 96, whenever those first two awards were won, uh, you know, maybe he prepared. Uh, maybe in typical Michael Scott fashion, he sucked, but he's just kind of building himself up as being a great guy, great speaker. Or maybe he just, like you say, he's kind of on the spot, and it sort of seems like maybe he's digging back 
10 years ago for his speech because he makes a lot of really cheesy old references. Like you said, like Michael Winslow, he uh, starts off by saying, good morning, Vietnam, which right. even in 96, I think that probably would have been a little crusty. <laughs> Michael Scott's always about five years behind the trend, so that would actually be about right. I mean, so maybe that maybe that does make sense. I, that scene, though, really was... We, you know, there's a lot of times in the office where we have super awkward situations, very awkward humor. Um, that really has to rank right up there to me with Gay Witch Hunt and a few other really awkward scenes I can bring to my mind. Very went on for a very long time. Just him up there sweating, and and you talked about how you didn't like that sweaty Carell from season one. Uh, he's <laughs> he's back and sweatier than ever, man. I gotta say. Well, but for comedic effect in this case, right. as opposed to intimidating effect or whatever so yeah no i think it was i thought it was good you know um the 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 jim and pam stuff you know it was cute i mean it's part of that sort of folklore of how they came to be in the build-up to the season finale there's no tension there and um, of course we're looking at it now with our knowing what happens to the characters the fact that they're going to be getting married on the show and looking at this stuff with her and roy thinking well that's a lifetime ago almost, right? Right, and there's a bit a bit of coincidence spotting, if I can borrow a phrase there, where Pam's talking about, you know, i got to get my wedding dress, so I'm getting my invitations. And now, of course, we have the Jim and Pam wedding. There's photos surfacing uh, on the different sites of, you know, Jenna Fisher and her Pam wedding dress and stuff. So it's kind of weird to see that juxtaposition now come full circle. Now, later in the show, we're going to be talking a little bit about Inglorious Bastards and B.J. Novak in the film. One of the things I want to talk about again, I kind of mentioned this the last time, I really thought that B.J. Novak in this episode, in season two, he continues to be kind of like the everyman. He, to me, he's like kind of that nice guy, the guy who you feel sorry for is working in this terrible office. You feel bad for him. He's like kind of, he's sort of the normal guy, sort of a gym character. Uh, in the beginning, and I know you didn't really like it that much, but I really liked that cold open. I thought it was really a good bit of business. It went a little too over the top. I think uh, Rain Wilson maybe chewed the scenery a little too much. <laughs> but it, the throwing the ball back and forth and all that kind of stuff, I thought that was pretty pretty true to business office, kind of, uh, like you mentioned before, sort of culture, sort of some kind of a dumb thing that your boss might do. I like that. You know, it, Ryan gets totally tackled um, in there. He's he's kind of calling out Jim, too, which is kind of interesting because I don't know if before that that we ever had Jim be criticized by anyone on the show, yeah. and, and Ryan kind of calls him out and says, you know, this guy, he's not doing anything. He's not going anywhere. He eats the same sandwich every day. You know, he works in the same crappy job. I, I'm betting he's going to Philadelphia for his trip. And that was kind of, you know, it's kind of interesting to see. Ryan is, I, I so much like him better as this guy than the cartoon character, the season four douchebag, you know, the season five continuing to be a douchebag. Uh, it's kind of weird, again, to see that kind of evolution of this character, kind of where where they took him. If you remember, again, and this isn't really here nor there, but if you remember way back to the pilot, he was sort of like the guy that was standing in for the audience, the guy that we were sort of introducing you know, to the show. Um, yeah. So it's kind of weird to see that. And, and I like that old guy. And I, I, we can't get it back, I don't think, at this point, of course. But uh, and, I, you know, I, and you feel bad for him when he's in that room, when he's in the room with Pam and Kelly, and, and Kelly's talking about getting married. And he's like, no, nah, I don't see myself ever getting married. <laughs> and then Pam calls well, him and I was like, no, I know what I said. <laughs> I thought that yeah, was great. I think, I think he was being kind of a douche there. I think he was, he was you know, I know what I said. And he was being kind of a, a jerk there. 
I agreed he is clearly much more of a normal person than what he's become. And he did get some good lines. I mean, it's nice to see that character being used. I mean, we talk a lot about how he's he's in the episode, in the background. He doesn't get to say anything as one line in the whole episode or something like that. He actually was used pretty effectively here. Although, again, I, I, you see the, the seeds of his uh, becoming more aggressive and kind of a dick later <laughs> in his well, I don't know. See, I like uh, that. I career. thought you see that as being a jerk. I see that as being a normal guy in a really bizarre situation because, I mean, they just started going out on February in Valentine's Day. This is only a little while after that, this episode yeah. here. And she's already talking about, oh, how did you, would you want to get married? I mean, it's, it's, she's freaky. I, he has a right to no, say something like that. I don't know. That's just small talk. Oh, I, will, I would want a fall wedding or a winter wedding. Oh, or, you know, whatever. Not the way she was saying it, man. It wasn't just conversation. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the other stuff in here, too, as far as the other characters go. Um, you know, we usually talk about the different plots in this episode. Obviously, the A plot, the big plot, is Michael and Dwight. The B plot here is Jim and Pam. And then, Kevin, somewhere down the middle of the alphabet, maybe the E, F, G plot we have some business with the other people in the office fighting over the thermostat. So I know that that was one of my highlights from season two. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, this this was my note for this whole plot line. Do we really need to talk about this? So other other than the the line from Kevin about I always said it at sixty nine. I that's all we need to say. All right. That well, was the only part that I really liked. We have it, talked it, about me, it. <laughs> it, it. It just didn't really go anywhere for me. You yeah. Know, they, they they played with it. Okay. Big deal. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there wasn't really a big payoff, but I actually kind of didn't mind it in there because it gave them something to do. And I think that I like it when things are packed, when there's a lot of stuff going on at the same time. Um, and it might be just a little bit of throwaway, but it's, an, it's again, it's kind of a typical, relatable office antics sort of thing to balance out maybe the wackiness of the Dwight stuff just a little bit. Anyway, so I didn't mind it that it didn't go anywhere because it just you know it wasn't a big deal, but it was a nice nice filler, I think. Now, would they would the plot have been better served getting rid of that and fitting in some more of the Jim stuff or the Pam stuff mm-hmm. or the Michael or Dwight stuff? Well, I guess you're you're answering that question as a yes, it would be, but uh, yeah. I don't know. I didn't I didn't mind it definitely. We talked the last time about some of the firsts, the first stats which she said in sexual harassment. Well, here we have kind of the first appearance of that notion that Dwight is the number one salesman in the company. I'm not sure if they intended it to be such a long-range kind of character-changing plot decision, because I don't think up to this point uh, in the 22 episodes of the series previous to this, I don't think there was anything in there that would have led anyone watching to think that Dwight was a good salesman. Definitely not somebody that... I, I, I remember being kind of taken by surprise. And at the time, I remember that I thought it was kind of weird that this whole thing was so huge. They went to this conference. I was like, wow, that's Dunder Mifflin. That's their company. Rewatching it a little more clear as far as how this is going. Still not totally clear. But this group they go to is the Northeastern Sales Association. So I, I'm assuming it's some kind of association where a bunch of different people from a bunch of different companies are joined together. I'm not really sure why they're giving out awards for individual companies or whatever. I'm not really quite sure how that works. Whether is Dwight the best-selling guy in this just this area? Uh, is he the best-selling person in the company? It makes more sense to me if it's just in this little local area. I, I could buy that maybe more than him being the best 
of all because, you know, somebody that's the best salesman in the company, I don't know if he'd be sticking around. It's such a podunk little place. But, again, you know, it's Dwight for you. Well, he grew up on that shirt farm, so he's got to stick around <laughs> in Scranton whether he needs it or not. But, yeah, that was, that was it was kind of uh, confusing there. But, yeah, I guess it, – it, and it's, they don't really answer those questions. Is it all of Dunder Mifflin or just that branch? Um, although it must be all of Dunder Mifflin if Jim is number nine, right? So <laughs> – yeah, I suppose, but there's a lot. I mean, we've seen there's a lot of different branches, and uh, yeah, I don't know. So I, I guess it's. I mean, they're still it's still pretty nebulous, I guess. Right, and Dinder Mifflin, all the offices are in the Northeast, so it's, I guess that could count. Um, <laughs> well, it's not overanalyze yeah. that, I guess, too much, but I just want to throw that out there because it really does change, I think, our perception of the character. It changed the way that they wrote the character, and maybe that's where that extra kind of cocky guy came from. So, for good or for bad, there we go. The origin of Dwight as the best salesman in the company. Let's go over the credits here a little bit. Uh, written by Paul Lieberstein. You know, of course, he's written 12 episodes total. Uh, most recently, Gossip, which is the season 6 premiere. Uh, company Picnic, Stress Relief, and Goodbye Toby. And uh, this episode was directed by Charles McDougall. He has only directed three episodes back from the early days including Christmas Party and Conflict Resolution. So I don't know what happened to this guy. <laughs> He's moved on to a different show or whatever, but uh, those are three pretty good episodes. Yeah, not bad. You wonder about that, I guess, like what happened. I suppose they have such a revolving crew of people. Uh, maybe the grass is greener on the other side of the fence there for old Charles. Well, that was enough of a preamble there. I guess let's go ahead and just get started on the episodes, dive into the Michael and Dwight plot line here well uh after the cold open after the commercial break after the credits and everything we open on dwight giving jim the business Ooh, dvd burner maybe i should get one of those you are so lucky jim you are so lucky you don't have this problem what was the ninth place prize again a loaf of bread Cugino's pizza oh great tasty terrific pizza Hmm. Question. Do their pizzas play DVDs? Dwight was the top salesman of the year at our company. He wins a little prize money and gets honored at some convention. It is literally the highest possible honor that a northeastern Pennsylvania-based mid-sized paper company regional salesman can attain. So a nice little balance there of the relationship, of course, uh, the whole... It's been there from the beginning, Dwight needling Jim over his victory. I gotta say that again, the the prizes and things that they mentioned there, that doesn't to me that doesn't uh seem to lead to a conference hall full of thousands of people. Kevin, I don't know. Uh if the ninth place is a pizza <laughs> And apparently Dwight's huge prize is only a couple hundred bucks to buy a TiVo or to buy a DVD burner. So it's a little weird, I guess. It's a little surprise as far as how how this is actually working there. Well, plus two free drink tickets at the convention, so you know that's <laughs> worth something. But yeah, it, I, a good little bit there, and of course Jim's line about the northeastern Pennsylvania mid-sized regional salesman—that whole thing was pretty funny too. So yeah, classic. It's a good setup. It's it's almost too bad. I I you know I the the physical humor in that cold open was pretty good for me but it went on really long and there was a deleted scene where Dwight comes in with you know sunglasses and saying my future is really bright <laughs> and that actually was a lot shorter might have left for more time for other things in the episode so do you think that was intended to be 
the cold open. It was the first deleted scene, so everything else was run in order, so I imagine. So, you know, Dwight's obviously enjoying lording this over Jim. Uh, Jim there with his loaf of bread <laughs> prize. There's <laughs> a nice line there. Uh, you know, Dwight's enjoying himself, but he's not really thinking about it all that much. Michael, of course, has been there and done that twice, as he told us. Uh, he comes in and uh, really starts to get Dwight's nerves all a jingle. So, you ready for the big speech this afternoon? Well, that's not really a big speech. You're still coming, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, and yes, it is a big speech. Biggest of your life. Speaker at the sales convention. Been there, done that. Went there again, did it again. Two years in a row. These are mostly salesmen, and salesmen expect to be entertained, yeah. and you are the main act. When I was in the sixth grade, I was a finalist in our school spelling bee. It was me against Raj Patel. And I misspelled in front of the entire school the word failure. I can't do this. That's because you're incapable of doing it, because you don't know how. Dwight, there's no way I can possibly teach you what you need to know about public speaking by speech time. Oh, okay. But I can teach you enough so that you don't embarrass me or the company. Okay, deal. I'll do whatever you say. No questions asked. Well, if you have a question, you should ask me. I'll try and think of one. Don't, don't try when... to think of a question to humor me. Just try not to be such an idiot. Is that an insult, or is that part of the public speaking advice? Insult. So cla- <laughs> classic stuff there, Michael. Gets that little nice line in at the end. Again, this is sort of the different thing, that, that little story about misspelling failure. That's such a class... I mean, it's a classic kind of Charlie Brown, kind of pathetic little line that you'd think... It, again, it kind of goes to showing the evolution of the character... Nowadays, they're much more inclined to go for some wacky, you know, Grandpa Mannheim uh, mm-hmm. did this or wacky kind of crap uh, along those lines there. That that line definitely could have fit in almost with anybody. Uh, a very sad, very tragic situation. I think, again, we've all been there and done that at some point in our lives, as Michael said. Well, I think that that would obviously explain why he's so uptight about the speech situation. So, And like <laughs> we said earlier, maybe because he went over and had this great speech, maybe now he's cured forever. Well, you may be right. He got his mojo back with that fabulous, fabulous speech, which we will slowly get to. One of the things I also liked in this early part there was we got to see the plaques that Michael had won, and there was some actually some visual gags there. Association was misspelled in the 1996 plaque, which is very interesting. <laughs> and then we also had, when he opens up the closet, we have a close-up picture of Jan from the Dunder Mifflin newsletter, Hanging on the inside there. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, I noticed that. I couldn't really make out what it said. I mean, we even, it's other things. I I even noticed that they had gateway monitors for their computers, not HP. So, (laughs) of course, this doesn't work with the mythology of the show where they, no way they could have spent all that money to upgrade their monitors. Well, better, better product placements. Exactly. You see what happens when you don't pay the bills. Uh, yeah, they, also in this closet, I mean, he pulls the plaques out of this, like, safe. He's got this big wall safe right. <laughs> where they're being kept and the, the, the certificate and everything. So, yeah, there's a lot of little doodads and stuff back there. That was kind of interesting. So Michael spends the next part of the episode there. Of course, this is where we're starting to build that up where he's the master. He's the expert. He wowed him at the convention. So he's going to take little Dwight under his wing. And he spends the next chunk of the episode talking about that, little tips and tricks on how to win over an audience. And his big tip, of course, is, well, you got to get people's attention. So he goes out there, and this is a you know, big way of getting their attention. He says, oh, $1,000 bonuses for everyone. 
So everyone's all, ooh, wow, hey, hooray, you know, cheering and stuff. And Stanley's on the phone with his wife talking about, oh, you can order the wallpaper and, and everything else. <laughs> and, um, and so, of course, Michael comes back and he's like, oh, see, see how I had them in the palm of my hand? You know, of course, typical idiotic Michael. So he entices Dwight to go out and try it himself, get their attention any way he can. And, of course, it goes horribly, horribly wrong. Excuse me. May I have your attention, please? There has been an accident on 84 West. Cars have skidded off the road into the safety railing. There is broken glass everywhere. Several people are injured. Do we know anyone who is in the accident? Brad Pitt. Also, there will be no bonuses. Why would this affect our bonuses? They're unrelated. Is Brad okay? He will never act again. Also, this branch is closing. What the hell's going on here? This is karma because of what he did to Jennifer Aniston. He's kidding. Dwight was kidding, and I don't know why, because it wasn't funny, and it was just horrible. Michael? Yeah? You said we were getting bonuses. All right. Everybody in the conference room now. Let's go. Cancel wallpaper. So, Dwight, just, I love that how that plays out. You know, we both chuckled at that. Uh, typical Kelly here as she's evolving into that kind of celebrity-obsessed person that we know and love. No, was well, Brad it was okay? So <laughs> it was just so funny because everyone else is, you know, all the other people in the office, what bonus, what closing? She's just so on this Brad Pitt vibe. And, of course, it's funny that Brad Pitt comes up again. Another coincidence that, of course, he's in the Inglorious Bastards that we're talking about later in the episode. Man, just uh, one thing after another, Kevin, I'm telling you. So here we go. Dwight has failed at, uh, well, he did actually, I guess he did succeed at getting their attention, but um, <laughs> but not in the way that Michael would have approved. So he gets gets everybody in the conference room. They all kind of go back and forth with their Toastmaster stuff and, you know, oh, I want everyone in here to practice their public speaking and meet that kind of good line in there where, where Pam says, uh, have you ever actually been to a wedding before? Um, <laughs> people stand up and, and talk and in the deleted scene, there's this really kind of really dark thing with Phyllis talking about how she's found love, but, you know, for a while she was dark in the dark place and had all these yeah. thoughts of killing, you know, I don't know if she said it, but hinted at the fact that she was thinking about suicide and stuff, and, and Michael just, oh, this isn't supposed to be about anything, <laughs> pushes her away. <laughs> it's a really, really kind of a tragic situation. We get Dwight up there, and some interesting, because, you know, we talked about this during that Charles Minor episode where Jim's title was supposedly made up. And, uh, of course, we said before that Jan appointed to him. Well, maybe this is where they got that from, because in this episode, you know, Dwight's up there saying, I'm not afraid of them. They're my subordinates. No, they're not. You know, assistant to the regional manager. Well, no, that's just a made-up title. So, uh, you know, maybe that's maybe that's where that whole controversy comes from. But it doesn't work. Dwight runs away. Everyone goes back to their desks. And, well, this is kind of where everything sort of starts to go wrong for Dwight, because he inadvertently pisses off Jim by telling him that he won't go anywhere on his trip, and so Jim wants to get his revenge. You know, I majored in public speaking in college. You did? Mm-hmm. The first thing that they teach you is that you've got to be true to yourself, and you are all about authority. Yes, I am. The great speakers throughout history were not joke tellers. They were people of passion. So if you want to do well today, you got to do what they did. Which is? You've got to wave your arms and you've got to pound your fists many times. So it's to emphasize your point. Okay, I didn't actually major in public speaking. But I did download speeches from some of history's famous dictators. Like this one. 
Originally given by Benito Mussolini. Okay, look, I know you're giving this speech on your own, but I wrote up a few talking points for you to take a look at. Hope you don't mind. I'll glance at it. It's time, Dwight. The Grim Reaper is here. The very best of luck to you, Dwight. Thank you, Angela. So right at the end of that clip, there we get a little interesting tidbit. Of course, this is in the still in the early days of the Dwight Angela secret romance. She secretly sneaks off to videotape him later on. It's a nice little visual mm-hmm. gag in the back of the room. Let's talk about this just a little bit because obviously Jim does this as a typical prank to get back at Dwight because, like I said, Dwight dares to say that Jim isn't going anywhere. So Jim kind of gets that angry face decides that he's going to play the prank on Dwight. This is a satisfying prank because we never actually see anything happen from this except that Dwight is successful. So Jim actually helped him here, and we never really get any callback to that. Exactly. We never get a callback to that in the rest of the episodes. It's kind of strange. It is strange, but and like you were saying, it's intended to be a prank, but it, it actually helps Dwight immensely, so just one of those things. This is actually a bonding moment for Jim and Dwight in, in well, the way... Well, at least on Dwight's side. Yeah. At least on Dwight's end. On Dwight's end, Jim gave him a huge, big favor, did him a great boost. <sighs> but, but at the same time, this is showing the Jim that we kind of started to really like in season two, where he would be quick and witty and, and have these fun elements, and it wasn't just Jim, you know, peeing in his pants because he can't respect authority or whatever. Charles Minor. So, you know, it's a very charming moment here from Jim. Of course, this is uh, a contrast to kind of how he kind of chokes at the end with the whole Pam situation. Well, you really think, I mean, did you, did you really think that what Dwight did to him there deserved this really kind of massive of comeback, of public course. humiliation? Been, he was being a dick the whole episode. You well, know? Ryan said the about... same thing to him, basically. You're not, you know, you're not going anywhere. Yeah, but. Dwight, like I said, Dwight was being a jerk the whole time, and he was giving him hay about True. being the ninth salesman and all His that His love for bread and everything else, you're right. So I yeah. guess and he got him back. Don't you wish, though, I mean, don't you think that, isn't there something missing by the fact that we never have any kind of closure or symmetry on that, where Jim kind of learns that he his thing failed, or does that just not matter? Maybe when Michael and Dwight come back to the office and say, I can't believe it, but Dwight did an amazing job. I'm sure Jim is just going to come back and say, well, you're obviously joking. <laughs> you're trying to play a trick on me or something like that. Um, well, yeah. They have no videotape proof because Angela, of course, clandestine. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, it would have been interesting kind of to see their reaction, but I guess it did not fit in with the story that they wanted to tell. Uh, so there we go. They go to the big speech, and in the deleted scenes, there's some actually some funny business with them in the conference center. They uh, originally go into the room, and it's really small, and there's like 10 people in there, and, and Michael says, oh, no one's in here. Uh, and they go outside, and it's like a numismatist club. <laughs> and so then they're walking around, and then there's a different convention, then there's a science fiction convention where the cast of the new Battlestar Galactica TV show are appearing, and Dwight goes off about that. And then they finally arrive at the gigantic, gigantic room with, you know, a thousand guys, as Michael says, in there, totally crazy, pumping up the jock jams, soundtrack, lights flashing, crazy laser show (laughs) events and things going on, these gigantic, like, uh, big brother (laughs) projector screens up there showing the speaker. So, crazy thing, they're right down in front, and here we have that payoff where... Dwight is just, when they call him up to give his speech, he's frozen. Totally frozen, totally paralyzed. 
just kind of making little gulping, uh, squeaking sounds. So Michael is coming to the rescue. I am not Dwight Schrute. Not at all. I am Michael Scott, his mentor and boss. And until Dwight comes up, if he ever does, I wanted to say a few words about excellence. What makes a work environment excellent? Well, there are many things, I believe, that do such a thing of that nature. And one would be humor. What is the difference between a salesman and a saleswoman? I'm very sorry. I did not know that you were wearing a hearing aid, and I just thought you were speaking abnormally. And now, the black guy from the Police Academy movies, a robot. (laughs) Michael Winslow. Anyone? Car starting. (laughs) All right, Dwight Schrute, everyone. That is a tough crowd. That is a tough crowd. So there you go. It's edited down to take out a lot of the really awkward, longer pauses there, but uh, still pretty rough. <laughs> well, you know, the, uh, sometimes you can get inspiration from watching a great public speaker. Well, sometimes you can get inspiration from seeing a bad public speaker. I guess that was <laughs> Dwight's secret this day. Yeah, and that's, uh, I mean, it's kind of a typical guy. We've seen that before where Michael just kind of starts to talk and just kind of rambles and rambles and rambles and rambles. So maybe a <laughs> typical character, I guess, characterization there. Maybe that wasn't too far off the mark. And, you know, again, he's kind of doing Dwight a favor. He's trying. He thinks he's saving him, of course, and he thinks he's going to be the hero and thinks he's going to get this huge reaction. And everyone's going to love him and all of his gags. And we get a callback there to that horrible... Horrible joke that he tells earlier in the show about what's the difference between a salesman and a saleswoman. Uh, of course, Dwight says, well, the saleswoman has a vagina. Right. <laughs> Michael says, no, 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 no. That's not wrong. It's not about body. And then so the correct answer is, well, what, is, what, is, what does she have that he doesn't have boobs? Which basically is the exact same thing that <laughs> right. Dwight said. But of course, he doesn't quite get it. So terrible joke. <laughs> I just love that thing. Uh, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't know you had a hearing aid. <laughs> You can only imagine what was said. So some funny stuff there. Finally, Michael flounders along enough that Dwight gets his nerve, jumps up to the podium. And I like that. You know, Michael's like, oh, tough crowd, tough crowd out there. Well, um, Kevin, the people have demanded it. So I'm going to give it to you. The Dwight speech in its near entirety. Blood alone moves the wheels of history! Have you ever asked yourselves in an hour of meditation how long we have been striving for greatness? Not only the years we've been at war, the war of work, but from the moment, as a child, when we realized that the world could be conquered. It has been a lifetime struggle, a never-ending fight, I say to you, And you will understand that it is a privilege to fight. We are warriors. Salesmen of Northeastern Pennsylvania, I ask you, once more rise and be worthy of this historical hour. (laughs) 
No revolution is worth anything unless it can defend itself. Some people will tell you salesman is a bad word. They'll conjure up images of used car dealers and door-to-door charlatans. This is our duty to change their perception. I say salesmen and women of the world unite. We must never acquiesce for it is together. Together that we prevail. We must never cede control of the motherland, for it is And the crowd goes wild. I gotta say, Leslie said that I still have that same reaction, the same thing I had the first time I saw that. The fact that they buy into that and they're all like chanting and they're up clapping and cheering, it just, eh, it seems a little, little ridiculous to me. But perhaps, as you mentioned earlier, it's just a Pavlovian response to loud noises, clapping, and hand slamming on the desk. I think also you kind of hinted on it earlier that because Michael has done so terribly. Dwight can only be viewed favorably in comparison. So it's like, all right, well, at least this guy's entertaining. He's jumping around. He's going a little crazy with the the, <laughs> uh, the vocal variety there and, and everything. So, but And, again, I think that, that just so happened these kind of themes work really well in the sales environment, and it's all about pumping them up and making them feel good and the struggle and all that kind of thing against the competition. So, yeah, but that's stuff in the middle. And I, and, I, and I think the other thing, too, is that, you, that Jim mentioned it, that Dwight – is a you know authority that's the thing and the once that's that's his little mojo that he plays out be an authority and <laughs> again great advice from Jim that just happened to work out my only reaction to that uh as i said that part in the middle where he talks about salesmen and the the door to door charlatans and all that stuff that's actually a pretty interesting rousing uh speech that would probably rile up some salespeople but the other stuff about the blood of the you know the blood of the motherland <laughs> right. and everything a little bit a little bit less so well and then we have the the visual gag where Michael he's freaking out at the speech and then he ends up leaving right and I guess I was not quite clear why he left other than just feeling like maybe Dwight's speech was an embarrassment and he wanted to leave well but, I, mean, I read after differently a while, he must have heard he must have heard the uh, the, the applause. No, but see, Kevin, that's the whole point. That's why he left, because Dwight was getting applause. He got skunked. He got nothing. He realized that he sucked and that Dwight was killing it. And so he kind of basically just ran away. He was embarrassed for himself that he was so much worse than Dwight, seeing as how he built that whole thing up. And that really leads into, then, the ending of this plot line here, where Michael kind of gets some of that, like you said, get some of that mojo back. There you are. What happened? I got thirsty. How'd it go? It was amazing. I wish you would have been there. You would not believe what happened here. What? Something happened? Oh, this woman came in, sat down, ordered a drink. The bartender asked for her ID, which I thought was odd because I paid her at like 35. Weird. Yeah, really weird. So 
she's like, I don't have my ID. Please give me one. Uh-huh. And he's like, I can't do that. I can't serve you. Con artist. She might have been. So she says, fine. I will go to my room. I will get my purse. I will come back. I'll show you my ID. She hasn't come back yet. She's probably in the room drinking from the mini bar. (laughs) (laughs) Dwight gave a great speech. That's the word on the street anyway. And I entertained Dwight to no end with my bar story. So I captivated the guy who captivated a thousand guys. Can you believe that? A thousand guys. And there's typical Michael for you there, taking uh, taking it back, of course, the transitive property at work there. <laughs> well, if Dwight entertained them, and I entertained Dwight, then I entertained them. So, yeah, this is the most boring, ridiculously stupid story about the bar uh, that keeps Dwight in his sycophantic ways captivated. Well, I guess whatever helps Michael sleep at night. So there's the big payoff. Michael, the fool doesn't talk about Dwight's successes and congratulate him, just basically absorbs Dwight's power onto himself. That's a great great way to end the story, and again, just a little bit of redemption for Michael, I suppose. (laughs) Well, not for us, maybe in his own mind, but I don't know about anything else. In his mind, for sure. (laughs) All right, one more plot line to get into here. Let's talk about the Jim and Pam plot line. You know, at the beginning of the episode, of course, we start off with some little witty banter back and forth. Kind of cute scene where Pam's making fun of him. Oh, you going to cry, Jim? Because Dwight beat you. Kind of stuff back and forth. Really cute, so to speak. And unfortunately, their little love nest is busted up by Phyllis coming onto the scene. Hey, I heard you got a wedding dress. Do you have pictures? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, I'll, uh, I'll show them to you later. Oh, oh I should get back. <laughs> Okay, cool. I have a ton of stuff to do for the wedding, and I have to do it in the office. And that can be kind of awkward, um, just because people can get all weird about wedding stuff, and I just, I don't want to offend Angela or someone. Mom, I'm sorry. I know you and Dad are chipping in for the wedding, but I do not want orange invitations. Hi, yeah. Can I talk to one of your travel agents? I'm going to take a trip. I'm going to get out of town for a while and go someplace not here. Where do I want to go? Um, that is an excellent question. And one I probably should have thought about before I called you. So there we have the whole work flirtation. And it's busted up by the reality of what's going on. Phyllis brings up the wedding, of course, which sets off you know, all the alarms there, Jim gets up and leaves. Now, the thing about this is kind of weird, I guess, is, you know, Pam, she really does lead him on quite a bit in this show, I think, and then kind of always backs away with, oh, no, I'm married. Oh, I'm getting, you know, I'm engaged. Uh, I remember just feeling for the guy. And I remember at the time when I watched it, just really feeling that this was a very tragic event and feeling really sorry for him now. Of course, with what we know today, watching this, again, a lot, lot less of an impact there. Yeah, it's really hard to tell if Pam realizes he has a crush and is in denial when she says, he's my best friend, or whatever, or if she doesn't realize he has a crush and she, you know. So it's it's very weird and hard to gauge, I think, a little bit. But if she Even did... Even in retrospect. If she, didn't but, have any, if she didn't have any inkling of this, though, why would she get awkward about the wedding? If it was her uh, best yeah. friend, she'd be like, oh, yeah, Jim, come on, let's talk about the wedding. So she obviously knows that it's she doesn't want to talk about it with him. So she but, knows. But she's got also. But then why does she make make the whole 
comment with Ryan seems so nonchalant. Well, of course I'm going to invite him to the wedding. Like, it, he, and he would have no problem, right? Like, <laughs> well, she, Pam's just a whole bundle of delusions. That's all I got to say. I don't know. Yeah. She keeps thinking that she can have it all and that it's going to be, you know, I'll get married and I'll still have the same relationship with Jim. But, um, you know, deep down she obviously knows that uh, things are not cool between them. And so there we have the little bit of a payoff with, with Jim starting to set up his trip. And, in fact, uh, one of the things they do during the Toastmaster segment of the previous plotline, Jim stands up and asks people for advice as far as where he should go on his trip and uh, gets some interesting responses. So, uh, I am going on a trip, but I'm not really sure where I'm going yet. It's kind of open-ended. So, I was hoping maybe you guys would have some suggestions. You should go to hedonism. What is that? It's like Club Med, but everything is naked. I was thinking more like Europe or something like that, but good second choice. Dwight, if you could travel anywhere in the world, where would you go? I can travel anywhere except Cuba, and I will travel to New Zealand and walk the Lord of the Rings Trail to Mordor, and then I will hike Mount Doom. So, now, just leave me alone. Okay, just trying to get some advice on my trip. Oh, please. You're not taking any trip. So there we go. There's the the famous line that initiated the whole revenge prank that went so awry. But, um... Mm -hmm. So I, that's a classic scene. I wanted to put that in there because, it's, again, it's a classic scene with Dwight talking about taking the trail to Mordor, of course, uh, <laughs> right. confirming his geek status. Um, the other suggestions, pretty typical stuff from Kevin. Um, you know, Creed pipes up with, you should go to Hong Kong. <laughs> Flenderson. <laughs> Flenderson has that weird speech about how he was in Amsterdam for maybe a week or a month. Uh, he's not sure. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was pretty funny, actually. I have to admit, I, maybe <laughs> Flenderson's warming on me or something, but I, I did enjoy that bit. Yeah, Michael gives him more crap though too. He doesn't stand up. He makes <laughs> makes that's not a toast, you know. <laughs> he has to get up and uh, and say it's hey, so, Amsterdam. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there we go. So Jim is building up some ideas for where to go. Uh, still hasn't come to any kind of conclusion, of course. Now. We talked about this already. I I just I really like it. I want to replay it again. So we have that scene because Jim won't have anything to do with the, the wedding, and Pam knows he won't. She enlists Kelly and Ryan to help her with the invitations and some of the other planning. So as they're in there putting on the stamps, well, things don't quite work out the way Kelly had hoped. Maybe we'll use a DJ. That's the one thing Roy's in charge of for this wedding, but all he's managed to do is set a date. Look, he did a great job. June 10th is perfect. I want a June wedding. I've always wanted one. Ryan, do you know when you would want to get married? Actually, I don't see ever getting married. Oh. Ryan, you should be more sensitive. It's obvious she likes you, and comments like that, they just... I know what I said. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't care. He's He's dead on. Yay. <laughs> Yay, Ryan. Go for it, man. I mean, the only thing that was missing was just a slap across Pam's face. Or I know what I said. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, what more do you need to say? You know, I don't need that Kelly action. All right, well, that leads us into kind of the big payoff. And as I said here, I really like this line. Ryan's really kind of the truth teller in this episode. And, um, you know, it leads off with, Jim, or ends off with Jim telling Pam about what he's up to. 
You really think you're going to go? Yeah, I'm definitely going. Nice. Send me a postcard. Jim has worked at the same place for five years. Jim eats the same ham and cheese sandwich every day for lunch. I don't know. If I were a betting man, I'd say he will have a fun weekend in Philadelphia. Australia? I have always wanted to go there. I'm going. I'm a little nervous to run into Dwight on his connecting flight to Mordor, but other than that, um, yeah, I bought the ticket, non-refundable. That's awesome. Where are you staying? I don't know. I feel like I have plenty of time to figure out the details, but... When are you leaving? I'm leaving on June 8th. Oh. Yeah, and I'm really sorry about that. I oh. Yeah, that's too bad. Yeah. Do you want me to take these on my way out? It's okay. I got it. So obviously, you know, at the time when you're watching this, ooh, he's not going to be there. Oh, it's going to happen. He's not going to be able to step up and stand in and everything else. And the thing that's bizarre about this, Kevin, is, of course, we know that the wedding does go on. Well, it not exactly. I mean, it gets to the point, really close to the point where it's going to go on, and then it doesn't happen. Um, but we also have this kind of dangling plot thread here where Jim has this non-refundable trip ticket to Australia, and as far as we can tell, they never mention that again as far as what happened with that, do they? You know, I couldn't find any references to it. I watched Gay Witch and there was no mention, so maybe if someone knows, they can drop us a line <laughs> and post on a blog post or something. So that's kind of a big deal, I guess. I don't know. He, of course, tell, you know, gives us feelings for her, and then he kind of takes that job in Stanford right away. Um, I guess he maybe eats that couple thousand dollar <laughs> trip or plane ticket that he bought. But, uh, oh, well, such is life in the big city in Scranton. Well, let's talk a little bit about the deleted scenes. We already mentioned that before. This kind of that sort of maybe cold open scene where Dwight comes in, you know, with the little Terminator sunglasses on or the Oakleys, whatever you want to say. And, you know, Jim, the feature's so bright. You got to do what? You got to do what? You know, there's that. Michael's other scenes with Michael training Dwight, giving him joke books, um, little throwaway line about Meredith's nephew being in Iraq. So she doesn't want to hear any sailor jokes. Uh, there's that scene we talk about with Phyllis and her depression. Uh, Ryan talking about how he wants to go to business school and how he just wants to get out of here. And then they have this little reaction from Michael, how he's scared. He's, you know, I'm scared to death about Ryan <laughs> leaving. Ryan gets stamps to the envelopes. The Michael and Dwight on the escalator, talking, you know, going in all the different rooms. And then much more footage of Michael flop sweating on stage. Um, not really sure what of that stuff should have been made. I almost feel like the speech scene itself went on already too long, so I'm not sure if they would have milked that. I definitely wouldn't have wanted to see Michael up on stage for any longer amount of time. Uh, some of the jokey stuff was all right, and the the thing with Ryan talking about business school was kind of interesting. Your boy, Ryan. Um, but yeah, maybe that that Phyllis scene. I'm glad they left that in the country before. That was very very disturbing. Well, they had a lot of dark stuff with Phyllis. Remember that one about when she goes on the honeymoon and how they ran over an African guy <laughs> and uh, and all that stuff. I mean, it's, she's a dark lady, dark dark lady. I have to say. Well, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about uh, our advertisers here this week on the show. If you'd like to support the show, please check out audible.com slash she said uh, sign up today you get a 14 day free trial uh, one free book credit so go ahead and check it out anything that you'd like give it a try if you're getting bored if you know days are dragging by not enough podcast information for you try an audiobook also 
I really want to hype this up, Kevin. I know maybe people are getting sick of me talking about this, but I've really been using this a lot. And I, ha- I hadn't been a subscriber up until a couple weeks ago, but I've really been using that Netflix Instant Watch constantly. This last couple weeks, I've watched the first two seasons of 30 Rock. Um, I've watched a bunch of movies. I've watched a lot of different stuff on there. Uh, I just got done watching today The King of Kong again for the second time. I don't know if you've ever seen that before. But, um, awesome. Just it's a, it's a great great service and always there. You know, if you're bored sitting around, nothing's going on. Especially right now, we're waiting for premiere season in September. A lot of good stuff on there. I haven't messed with the discs. I have not ever mailed one disc in yet, or or asked for any discs. I've only been using the instant watch stuff. So really really great. And I gotta say, I know you're not a huge fan based on our Emmy discussion from the other day, but. Um, I never really paid much attention to that first season of 30 Rock when it first came on. I loved it when I rewatched this past week. I thought it was hilarious. So if you've not seen it before, if you haven't checked those out, definitely go and take a look at that for sure. So if you'd like to give that Netflix a try, you can sign up. Again, 14-day free trial. No risk involved there. Cancel any time. That URL is netflix.com slash TWSS. Uh, netflix.com slash TWSS. Also, you know, if you, if you already subscribe to Netflix, if you don't want to mess with Audible, you can also help out the show by going to our website, clicking on our Amazon link. The Season 5 DVD is coming out fairly shortly. So uh, just like last year, we asked you to do that too. If, you know, if you're not going to buy from anywhere else, if you want to help support the show, click on our Amazon link and we will get a little bit of a percentage back on each one of those sets you buy. So every little bit helps and we greatly greatly appreciate it i'm a director which on a film set is the highest title there is do you know anything about them i know everything about film i've seen over 240 of them congratulations all right kevin well we talked about away we go last time we talked about the hangover so two more big kind of office related films out this summer the goods and inglorious bastards now i haven't had a chance to see either film but you have been there for both so why don't you tell us what you thought all right well the goods is a comedy film starring jeremy piven and notable here for office fans is ed helms who appears uh, kind of as the villain of the piece he plays a rival car dealer and he's kind of an antagonist um, kind of interesting he plays this man who's in a boy band but they're older so they call it a man band he's also engaged to the lead actress who of course jeremy piven has the hots for and kevin i want to say um, i just want to put a little tidbit in there um i'm a big my boys fan on tbs and so that's jordana spiro there in that role who's the pj character from my boys so very very attractive uh poor ed helms yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> uh, I can't say much about the performance, but in any case, Ed, you know, he he kind of does his thing. It's not quite uh, as sort of that sad sack uh, role that he played in The Hangover as, or in The Pathetic Andy, but he's a little bit more the arrogant Andy in this role, obviously a musical bent there as well. And also, uh, Craig Robinson plays a DJ. His uh, DJ name is DJ Request, except he doesn't take any requests, so anytime anyone makes a request, you play something completely opposite. Um, the Goods is just okay, and it's going to probably be on DVD here shortly. Um, kind of ridiculous, but there are some good comedic performances, including uh, David Kechner, our Odd Packer we talked about uh, last time. So, 
If you're looking for raunchy comedy, goods may be okay. And then, of course, Inglorious Bastards, the big new movie opening this week. Of course, this is one of the things we talked about this past season where uh, Ryan went to Thailand or whatever he went to. <laughs> um, this was to allow um, B.J. Novak to go to Europe to film his uh, scenes there in the Quentin Tarantino World War II drama. Probably most of the listeners are familiar, but Novak plays a member of this all-Jewish patrol who goes out to try to hunt down Nazis and very brutal to try to send a message back to Hitler. And you know those episodes of The Office where you see Ryan in the background and then you see Steve Carell and Rain Wilson talking? Well, guess what? It's kind of the same deal with B.J. Novak here in Inglorious Bastards. He's there, and then you see a lot of Brad Pitt chewing the scenery. Um, <laughs> but that being said, uh, if you kind of like your Tarantino movies, you like your World War II, Nazi killing, uh, this is a very good movie. And if you stick out through the end of the two-and-a-half-hour movie, you will get a very good scene with uh, B.J. Novak uh, right there at the end of the movie with um, Brad Pitt and uh, Christoph Waltz, who plays the Nazi colonel, and he's excellent. He's going to, for sure, Oscar nomination. He's probably going to win. He's just excellent. Yeah, I've heard a lot so, of buzz about you know, his performance. There are definitely worse office-related movie roles than what uh, <laughs> B.J. Novak gets to do here in this movie. Uh, very entertaining, so I say check it out. All right, and this is not really office-related, but it's in the same vein of humor. So if you're interested in that, if you have Netflix and the Instant Watch, or if you uh, just want to check your local video store, um, this past week, Kevin, I checked out a film called The, it's called the TV Set. Uh, it was released in 2006. I'm not sure if it ever actually made it to the big screen, or where it was made, or where, where it came from. Um, this movie totally surprised me, mostly because it had such big-name Stars. The movie stars David Duchovny, Sigourney Weaver, I, I can't even say this, the guy who plays Reed Richards in the Fantastic Four movies. Yes. And, and it's written and directed by Jay Kazan, and this is the thing, it was produced by Judd Apatow, so it's kind of bizarre that such a high-profile sort of list of creators could uh, make this film that was totally stealth, never heard a word about it. Um, let me just lay the premise out there for you. This is a kind of really bleak, dark satire of the TV industry. David Duchovny stars as a writer who has this really unique idea for a pilot, very successful pilot pitch, and it kind of shows how the system takes in something interesting and original and just grinds it down into pablum. Sigourney Weaver plays this really kind of clueless, maybe a little over-the-top cartoonish, idiotic TV executive. Griffith plays a, a guy from the BBC, a British executive who originally has these really high standards, but yet when he comes here, he slowly learns that he has to sort of give in to the Hollywood way. And Kevin, I just thought of this. There is an office connection because his wife in the movie is played by the woman who played Dawn in the British office. So there you go. Yeah, I've seen that movie. I actually rented the disc on Netflix. But, uh, yeah, a pretty good inside baseball movie if you want to learn a little bit more about how to the TV industry works and, and all that. And, of course, it's, it is kind of shot in that documentary style a little bit. And if you're a fan of Duchovny's work on Californication, it's kind of a similar character. So Yeah, with less I, I, I would definitely recommend. Yeah, I would definitely <laughs> recommend the TV set also. One little other tidbit of movie news, Kevin, I can't believe this is happening. Uh, away we go, hitting DVD and Blu-ray already on September 29th. So 
this movie got kind of a crappy play around the country, didn't really hit a lot of cities. If you missed it, uh, I thought it was great. Go back to listen to my review of the film. DVD includes uh, making of featurettes, some commentary with director Mendes and the writers Dave Eggers and Venda La Vida, and uh, apparently a feature looking at their effort to make the movie in a, as green a way as possible. So if you missed it, like I said, check it out on September 29th. Uh, any messages? Yeah, just stuff that I have. Oh, and this is from corporate. How many times have I told you that there's a special filing cabinet for things from corporate? Yeah. Oh, the waste paper basket. <laughs> <laughs> Why I didn't uh, want to get it? You put it in the garbage can that was a special filing cabinet. Yeah, uh, that was a joke. Well, Kevin, I've never been a huge fan of most of these kind of cheapy knockoff tie-in things that we've seen, like the Office DVD trivia game or some of the other stuff, but this actually has my curiosity quite peaked. Apparently, we are going to sometime soon see Clue, the Office edition. Dunder Mifflin employees must determine who, quote-unquote, killed Toby with what office weapon and where the crime occurred. Can you solve this Scranton mystery before it's too late? The classic game of whodunit, it's a Dunder Mifflin makeover, a must-have collectible for any office fan. Kevin, there's nine pewter weapons, including nunchucks, a ream of paper, Mr. A. Knife, a pretzel, a bat, world's best boss mug, bicycle chain, Dundee Award, and George Foreman Grill. There's also six employees as the suspects, including Jim, Pam, Angela, Stanley, Andy, and Dwight. Nine locations, including the parking lot, Michael's office, the conference room, the break room, reception, kitchen, annex, accounting, and warehouse. Should be available soon for $35. And the only thing I have to say is, of course, Michael is the one who killed him. And I'm kind of surprised to see him not actually be one of the suspects. Well, maybe that's uh, be too easy if Michael was one of the characters, right? <laughs> It'd be a really short oh. game. Every game is, is Michael. Yep. <laughs> Again. <laughs> no, you're right. This thing looks like it's a really good deal. And the, the pictures, if you look, I'm on uh, Office Tally or whatever. Uh, the, those, those little pewter characters look pretty interesting. So good stuff. Well, according to People Magazine, 39-year-old actress Amy Ryan, of course, last seen as Snoop Snake, Holly Flax in the season five finale, is pregnant. Ryan and her fiancé, writer Eric Sloven, are expecting their first child in October. Man, there's something in the air around that office set. I don't know what's going on. Jenna Fisher is a producer. I don't know if you knew that, Kevin, but uh, MySanAntonio.com is reporting on the fact that one of the shows that she is developing for NBC is based on the adventures of San Antonio private eye Charlie Parker. She said the hour-long comedic drama is sort of like Magnum P.I. or Columbo in tone. She likes the fact that he started out as a lumber salesman who did detective work in his spare time. It's perfect for our times, she said. The different characters who work with Charlie all have to keep their day jobs to pay the bills and also solve crimes in their spare time. No actors have been cast, and Fisher said, we're working on the first script. We're hoping the studio will like it and put it on the air. All right, it's a hard road to get your pilot onto TV, but uh, best of luck to Jenna Fisher. Well, here's a story from TVTattle.com. The Office's Rain Wilson is writing a novel. 
According to a press release, Wilson's first book will be titled Soul Pancake, of course, based on his website of the same name. And the book will, quote, will encourage readers to explore life's big questions, such as why do we dream, what happens after we die, and what work of art has most influenced your life? Well, I don't know. That, uh, is that really going to be a novel? <laughs> that sounds a lot more complex, more of a non-fiction-y sort of book to me, but I guess we'll see how that turns out. Not sure. I haven't really been checking that out. I know we reported on that website, uh, and he tweets about it a lot, but I have not gone back there, so I'm not really sure what's going on at Soul Pancake these days. Me neither. All right, Kevin, well, we talked about him in The Hangover. I watched the Comedians of Comedy movie recently on the Netflix Instant Watch. So here we are, Zach Galifianakis, his star is rising, joining Steve Carell and Paul Rudd on Dinner for Schmucks. According to Empire Online, this movie is based on Francis Weber's 1998 French farce. Uh, it stars Carell as a hapless, pathetic guy who's invited to Rudd's weekly dinner party with chaotic results. Galifianakis will star as the assistant manager of a mattress store who just happens to be dating Carell's ex-wife. Yeah, and that movie's from uh, Jay Roach, who did Meet the Parents and the uh, Austin Powers movie, so good high-profile project here for Steve Carell. All right, another Rain Wilson story. Rain Wilson, music guru. When asked to explain the title of the band's upcoming album, Ratitude, Weezer frontman Rivers Cuomo told Billboard that he, quote, got the idea from a new friend, Rain Wilson from the television series The Office. He has a super rock persona, Cuomo explains. When it came time to find the title for the Weezer album, I asked him what he thought the ultimate album title would be, and he said, Ratitude. All right, maybe he's uh, <laughs> getting a little too high on himself from being in that rocker movie or something. I don't know, but uh, eh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not too thrilled with that, but hey, whatever. Me neither. Kevin, the bobblehead onslaught continues. So far, we have had four of them released already. Uh, in addition to the Michael and Dwight, we now have the Oscar, the Angela, the Ryan, Believe it or not, there is going to be, when this is all said and done, there is going to be 16 bobbleheads for you to purchase. So I still have not yet bought any of them other than my Dwight bobblehead, although the Andy one, i got to say, is looking kind of intriguing to me. So keep your eyes peeled at the NBC store, I guess. If you want to order any of those early four bobbleheads, you can go and check those out already. Uh, otherwise, keep checking. They will be released as the months go by. I like that the Ryan one has the little half-beard thing <laughs> going there. Yeah, you know, I think Very the nice. Ryan one's really the one that doesn't look like B.J. Novak, though. I think it's one of the less uh, accurate of any of the bobbleheads. All right, Kevin, well, we're still wondering about who's going to take home the Emmy for Best Comedy Series, and the guys over at Family Guy have been putting up uh, a bunch of clips on YouTube these past week or so um, called Where's My Emmy? And basically what they've done is take a clip from a classic Family Guy episode and redubbed in all the dialogue, and there's one episode for each of the other shows that Family Guy's up against, and the first one that they did was... For the office. So let's take a listen to this very funny. Uh, who is Brian voting for this year? Well, he might just regret that decision. Stewie, uh, hey. Hey there. So uh, you figure out who's got your Emmy vote for best comedy? Oh, yeah. You know, I was thinking about voting for the office. Really? Six years in, and they're still doing a documentary about that place? W when, when's that thing coming out? Huh? 
And, and what kind of documentary follows you to your house? Come on, it's a good show. Steve Carell's really funny. It's well written. Oh, well, all right then. Mm, that's good, OJ. Ah! Ah! Yeah, that hurt. Ah! That hurt. What the hell? Yeah, that ah! don't feel so good, does it? Ah! No, huh? Ah! Oh! That's what she said. Get it? Get it? Oh, my God. Eat fruit and die. Where's my Emmy? You gonna give me my Emmy? Where's my Emmy, man? Where's my Emmy, man? Where's my Emmy? You're voting for Family Guy. You hear me? You're voting for Family Guy. You freaking psychopath. Indians and Hispanics don't live in Scranton. I don't know. I got a big kick out of that. So I don't know. Little lines in there. That's what she said. <laughs> Get it? I don't know. The the whole attack thing just didn't make any sense to me. Well, you, know? you got. I guess but maybe I you got to see I don't, the context. I don't watch the show, so I wouldn't maybe know. But <laughs> all right, they had a little fun there. We've talked about the documentary crew. Why are they still filming? When's it going to show? Exactly. So some cogent points there from uh, from Stewie. All right. Well, if you can't get enough of our brilliant insights, you can follow Matt and me on Twitter, twitter.com slash summermatt, and twitter.com slash Kevin Crossman. These are our personal accounts, not dedicated. That's what she said feeds, but go ahead and follow us if you're so inclined. And what is that dedicated, course, that's what she said feed, Kevin? Yes, of course you can follow twitter.com slash podcast, where we talk about you know what's happening with the show schedule when we get delayed. All those kinds of things. All right, let's get into the cast blogs here. Jenna Fisher has been actually pretty prolific with the blogs the last few weeks. Um, the uh, Earlier when she's talking about here, her kind of life on the set, she said, I arrived on the set at 6 a.m. today, got ready to work, only to find out that I am not needed for the first scene of the day. Uh, I've been asked to wait in my trailer until they're ready to shoot the next scene. It'll be about an hour before I'm needed. You might think I'd be grouchy. I mean, usually when you aren't in the first scene of the day, you get to sleep in and come to work around 7, but... She says, it's awesome. I'm sitting in my trailer with the windows open, returning emails, and listening to Ed and Creed play bluegrass music together. I love when they play. Ed's trailer is right next to mine. It's the best. So kind of a fun little insight there. I do also agree I love when the two of those guys just kind of goof off. Um, there's that kind of fun, funny little Angela video last season where they were on the golf course uh, just kind of jamming to... Uh, <laughs> Do some music there, so good stuff. I'd like to see some more of that come up. Also on, on her blog, she's actually been answering some questions from people. So she had about five or six different questions that people on her MySpace blog asked. And one of the questions is, are you going to have to gain any weight since Pam is pregnant? And uh, Jenna replied, no, I will not have to gain weight. I was recently fitted for a pregnancy suit. It's a padded suit that will gradually get bigger throughout Pam's pregnancy. It's very surreal. Now, I, I think maybe last time, Kevin, we had this blog about how she was saying she loved her cardio. Well, she posted mm-hmm. another blog this week about how she now hates the cardio, <laughs> how she's not loving it anymore, and uh, some other issues. So definitely, she really stepped up her blogging this last month with the new season. I guess maybe that's why. She's in the trailer, so she has a lot more time to, to blog and, and get some stuff done. Yeah, when she's not out filming movies over the summer. So, yeah, good <laughs> good stuff. Well, Mindy Kelling has been uh, Twittering at twitter.com slash Mindy Kelling. She wrote, I've been remiss on tweets because I'm running the Jim and Pam wedding episode with my boss, Greg. I'll reveal everything, no problem. She also uh, Twittered, so many tacit agreements regarding seeing the time traveler's wife and blowjobs this weekend. 
Oh, man. Very, very, very good insight there. If a girl ever leaves jewelry or an item of clothing at your house after she spends the night, it is never, ever, ever an accident. So this is good advice for me. Yeah, I think there's maybe a reason why I'm not following some of this stuff there. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the season premiere, and we're going to talk about some of the stuff that we know about season six. We're going to get into that in a little while as soon as we get done reading these blogs. So I will give you fair warning. Um, this is stuff that, you know, we talked about it. We didn't think they were major spoilers. But if you're someone that wants to go in totally pure, I'll tell you when to skip ahead. All right? There's another uh, pretty good Twitter war going for the faux Ryan and the faux Kelly. Uh, you can learn more on NBC.com slash the office slash Twitter slash Kelly dash Ryan dash Twitter SHTML. So this is pretty funny, the, the sort of timeline here. So uh, Kelly writes, Ryan and I are back together, this time forever, at 5.42 p.m. And then at 5.51, Ryan and I just broke up, and I'm devastated. <laughs> and then at 6.25, uh, Ryan and I are back to being friends with benefits. And then at 6.41, she writes, Ryan, I don't get your text. You, quote, never said we were friends? WTF does that mean? <laughs> so, uh, you know, I just think this is foreshadowing. Like you were saying, maybe this is a you know, an indication of what we're going to have in season six with these two guys. All right, and then of course, Rain Wilson is the king of Twitters, uh, nonstop all the time. Um, getting into some contentious stuff. Of course, a lot of celebrity Twitterers have been talking about the healthcare issues. Uh, one of the things he said recently is, remember, healthcare crisis is not a partisan political issue. They'd like you to believe it is. It's a health crisis that's bankrupting us. So, And that's really the kind of intellectual stimulation that we're really looking for with our Rain Wilson tweets, because you know, that's <laughs> a pretty high-quality standard. Speaking of which, high-quality standards, here we got another one. Uh, <laughs> word of the day, he says, clitorusty. Out of practice at oral sex, i.e., my wife and I tried foreplay, but I was clitorusty. So there you go. More along the lines of that classic Rain Wilson humor that you may be looking for. <laughs> All right. Well, folks, here we are. We're going to talk about the season premiere episode a little bit. Um, just before you get any spoilers, I just want to say the season premiere, Gossip is the name of it, written by Paul Lieberstein. Uh, the premiere will air on September 17th. 2009 at its usual time, 9 o'clock, 8 o'clock Central. This is going to be, as far as I can tell, a standard 22-minute episode, regular episode. Um, so if if you don't want to know anything at all about what's going to happen this season, skip ahead right now until you hear the email music. All right? I'm just giving you a fair warning, okay? Everybody gone that doesn't want to be here? All right. Um the little synopsis, they just posted this, in fact, in the, the Office Facebook group, made everyone aware of this, too, and said, hey, we just posted the summary. Well, here's a summary. Michael gets caught up in the Office gossip. Michael feels left out as the rest of the Office gossips about the summer interns. While Michael searches for the next juicy rumor to share, Andy struggles with heterosexuality. Um, that last thing, a little concerned. <laughs> Not sure what that's all about. And also not sure about those summer interns. Now, we never really heard of that before, except in that episode, you remember when they went to the job fair. So maybe, is that a direct 
payoff from the job fair episode? Oh, I don't know about that, but, uh, you know, office interns, that's always a good uh, opportunity for some new kind of fresh blood in the office that uh, may be able to <laughs> illustrate some of our wackier office characters. And, of course, with Andy, you know, we had that line last year, you're gayer than Oscar, so here we are. Here's the payoff. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I guess you may be right. Well, we'll see what happens. Now, here we go. We're going to talk a little bit more about some season six stuff. This is not very heavy. This is stuff that's been on Jenna Fisher's blog. This is stuff that's been in every little TV reporting site. So, like I said, you're already you're already gone if you don't want to hear it. So let's talk about it. Um, ending speculation, Kevin. The wedding episode is going to be the fourth episode of season six. Uh, as Mindy Kaling said, it's being written by her and Greg Daniels. So we know right away that it's going to happen. No speculating. You know, when is it going to be? Are they going to wait for sweeps? Whatever. Fourth episode. And I, I, I also do know that, according to Wikipedia anyway, this is going to be an hour-long ep. So we'll see what that happens. Are we weddinged out after the Phyllis's wedding and other stuff? <laughs> I don't know. But uh, they recently posted some pictures of Jim in his tux and, and uh, Pam in her dress, and those are kind of all over the place. I guess Office Tally has some other shots that they had on their site, so you can go there and check that out. It, it, well, it says here that we'll get to meet Jim and Pam's families. Uh, that's pretty interesting. And then, uh, of course, we talked last time about Pam's mom, but apparently they're going to recast that role. I don't know what the, what yeah, the deal is with that. Yeah, that's a little strange. I didn't read that quote. Apparently that was something from one of Os Yellow's columns. Uh, over at EW.com. So if you go to the Wikipedia page, look at Season 6, you can click on this little footnote link there to check that out. Um, you mentioned that before when we did that <laughs> sexual harassment that she you thought she was maybe too young to be her mom. So I guess we'll see. Now, we saw her dad last season. So I guess we're going to see old Beardy back again. Um, <laughs> the uh, Let's see. Uh, here's another thing that we know. Apparently, Pam will give birth in, the, in a February episode. So that definitely is a sweeps stunt, as far as I can tell, and we'll see what happens with that. Hopefully no buttered watermelons this time. Well, it's also nine months after when she got pregnant, too. So well, there you go. happens to coincidence. Uh, Paul Dabristein wrote, I think we're still a show without a baby, even though two of our main characters have a baby. So, Matt, we talked about this not wanting to turn into, you know, pan with the baby around every episode. <laughs> Maybe... Um, Maybe we, maybe our dreams are coming true in that regard. Although, again, that was my whole point. If you're not going to show the baby, why have the baby? <laughs> Just so you can have them talking about the baby, and so you can have Jim being exhausted and Pam being grumpy and maybe not wearing makeup and stuff. So there yeah, you go. I saw that. I saw that. It was that awful movie with Robin Williams and Charlie Krasinski, right? Uh, well, well, she's no Mandy Moore. What can I say? All right. Um, <laughs> So there we go. She's going to give birth in the February episode. He said, yeah, you know, that was a reference. We talked about that with the baby. He said, other stuff I didn't put in there as far as what Paul Lieberstein said is like, well, you, can, you can't bring a baby to work, at least not yet. So I'm not sure what that means, if he means not yet in American society or if he means not yet in the office uh-huh. show. Because uh, we speculated on the fact that Michael might have some kind of stupid uh, nursery or something in there for ass turd. And uh, right. Jim and Pam's baby, so I guess we'll have to see how that plays out. Um, you and I have been talking about this for two years now, that Jim is kind of a puss and he's not going anywhere. Well, Paul Lieberstein also said that um, Jim's going to try to step up this season. Uh, he says, we feel like Jim is a big part of what we're focusing on this year, actually. So, finally, 
I guess after two seasons of us wondering when he's going to step up, here is his season. Well, we'll see. Uh, I would like that to happen. Uh, let's lo- also look at uh, some rumors about Michael. This is again from Paul Lieberstein. He said that Michael finally found his mojo in a way last season. Uh, we've always said that Michael is great at sales for reasons we can't explain and terrible at managing, and that is something we're going to see in a big deal in an arc you're going to see starting in the second episode. All so, right. so yeah, some so some stuff going on with Michael. He also mentioned this. Now we know that Jim and Pam they're going to be going to Niagara Falls for their honeymoon. Uh, one of the things Paul Lieberstein also said is that once Jim and Pam leave, the office kind of goes stupid without them being there. Um, apparently there's some plot line when, where Michael has a meeting with an Italian man and everyone in the office believes that the mafia is extorting him for money. That sounds a little weak to me. I don't know. It's a little far out there. but uh, I, see, I, I see Kevin and Andy being the genesis for that uh, <laughs> rumor. Well, we'll see what happens, I guess. We already kind of had that five families vibe thing going on, so eh, well, we'll see where that goes. No surprise here, Ed, uh, Ed Helms as Andy will be uh, trying to mend his broken heart by unabashedly pursuing the new office receptionist, Aaron, and Ellie Kemper will be officially joining the cast as a series regular this season. Yeah, as you said, it's not um, a big surprise. Can't... We had that going on from last season where Andy and, and Dwight were competing for her, so I, I, apparently he'll continue to do that. And I guess bigger role, more stuff for her. Uh, joining the already massive cast, so we'll see if we get enough. <laughs> see if we get any good stuff from from Kemper this season. And Indeed. lastly, Kevin, Paul Lieberstein ominously hinted that in the second half of the season there will be quote unquote trouble with Dunder Mifflin. Um, man, I feel like that's been the second half of every season. Right. <laughs> the show's been in existence, so um, not sure what's going on with that. Yeah, we'll have to see. I mean, you think they would have done something this year because of the economy. You know, by the time that comes around, hopefully we're doing better. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, I guess we shall see. We shall see. There are certain things a boss does not share with his employees. His salary, his bed, and I am not going to tell them that I'll be reading their emails. I gotta erase a lot of stuff. Just so you know, if you have any sensitive emails, they need to be deleted immediately. I know. A lot of stuff. Alright, so feedback on That's What She Said, episode number 74, Sexual Harassment. Luke A. said, thanks for coming back for at least one retro episode before the new season starts. I do have to say that Todd Packer is actually my least favorite character in the whole series. For a show that prides itself in having multifaceted characters, even Roy and Karen weren't the typical sitcom cliche antagonists, Todd Packer was just a vile creation that was more unbearable to watch than anything Michael has done. I'm guessing that's the point of the character, but still, if I never see Todd Packer again, it'll be too soon. And the only thing I have to say to Luke is, have you met Meredith Palmer, my friend? (laughs) Or Kevin. (laughs) Or Stanley. (laughs) So, yeah, I may disagree with you on that idea that people are multifaceted in the office, but... um, you know, I don't know. We we kind of set our piece. We we like Packer. Definitely not someone who should be on the show all the time. But I think uh, at least once a season would be just enough. Indeed. All right. Well, Lee wrote, "This is the episode that sealed the deal for me. 
I was a casual vi- viewer in the first season, but I got hooked with sexual harassment. Well, there's a joke there somewhere. And I just think, if not for this episode, you would not have such a catchy name for your podcast. Thanks, as always, for the great insights. And in this case, a walk down memory lane. Yep, exactly. So more good stuff from Season 2 definitely hooked us in. Jack Landsman had this to say, another great installment. I swear you guys have helped me to appreciate some of these past episodes. I thought I hated Survivor Man when it first aired two years ago until I listened to the old That's What She Said podcast. Now it's one of my very, very favorite episodes. I don't remember ever being a big fan of sexual harassment, but I went and rewatched it after listening to the retro twist. It really is a gem. So there you go, Kevin. We are making a difference. Yes. The, the happy music there. All right, our last uh, last letter here is the listener feedback of the week from Jason. Thanks, guys, for another great podcast. I'm a long-time listener, first time commenting. Sexual harassment is one of my favorites, and your podcast let me realize things that I missed, such as Todd Packer's absence. I'm looking forward to another great podcast. And, Kevin, you seem a little sad hearing that Jenna Fisher is engaged. All I have to say is... BFD, engaged ain't married. Which, of course, is the reference to Booze Cruise. Hey, Excellent I'm, work. I'm the single Ethan. guy here. You're the guy with kids and a wife. So you, if anybody's worried about this. Yeah, that's it, true. It should be Jenna, me. Jenna, Jenna's not married, but I am. So I guess that is a BD. Well, <laughs> or you could say that's your wife, you know. <laughs> Sorry, honey. Is Jenna Fisher on your, uh, you know, your list? Yeah, yeah. Your exception list. All right, well, (laughs) we'll see what happens with that. All right, well, that's about going to do it for us this time. Join us in a few weeks or whenever for episode 76. Uh, Send any comments or constructive compliments to TWSSpodcast at gmail.com. Visit the show blog page at TWSSpodcast.com. If you have a chance, leave positive feedback on iTunes. Okay, if you haven't done that yet, I know I've said this many times, if you haven't left a review, please do so. Um, and also help spread the word in the various office-related forums. Every little bit helps. Music for this episode is provided by the Podshow, Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com. And remember to head on over to nbc.com slash the underscore office during the week edition of deleted scenes interviews episode recaps cast blogs and more and for kevin crossman i am matt summer and we are out of here Of course, the uh, classic Thomas Dolby reference for those of you uh, from our generation. <laughs> you might appreciate. Well, sorry. Wait, no, what's that? It's blinded me with science. Sorry, I'm getting a little confused <laughs> there. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, easy mistake to make.